In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Um, I'm always tired on the last one, so I hope this is cohesive because my mind, when it starts to get scattered, there might be just random things flying. Um, so if you guys can organize immensely, great. If not, don't worry about it. Um, and hopefully something um, comes out. So I had originally said I was going to do a little bit on self-accusation in this one, and then forgot that, so I'm going to add it back in, so that's why there's going to be some like dissociation. Um, but to recap, we, we, again, just because I like the point of a talk to be clear, um, first we talked about who is the self, right? Then we talked about what God is trying to do with the self. Then we talked about obstacles that I might put up, right, towards God's work in me. And then we talked about how do I abandon the self, right, and then abandoning, my, abandoning myself and abandoning myself to God. Um, and then this one is a little bit about what do I do, which is mostly focused on the, like, pretty much last page of the book. Um, I'm going to say little on those sections, kind of little, um, because Abunamata was very pointed already in his advice on what to do and on things to, um, to consider. So all of this was in his section that basically says, like, my advice to you, um, dear reader. Um, well, it wasn't a reader because it was a verbal lecture. But um, the first thing he said that man must ponder well to ensure that at every moment he is first living in God and second he is guided by God's spirit. Whether a man is living in God will be perceived by studying the inner thoughts and actions which are the central concern of his heart. This usually happens when you are in your closet. Um, obviously, he's talking um, what Christ said when you go into your closet to pray. So in your inner chambers um, is what he means. Is your heart directed towards God? So he's saying the first thing you need to do as a piece of advice is you need to actively be asking yourself always, am I actually in Christ? Right? Or is this something that's actively on my mind? Um, or do I compartmentalize religion? So what are you doing in secret? Right? Your thoughts, your actions, and your intentions. Are you thinking about your body or your spirit? In, like inventory yourself. Right? Like what do the majority of my thoughts, where are they mostly going? Like is the majority of your day spent thinking about what's my next outing? What's my career move? Um, what's going to be my next tweet or Instagram? Right? Like did I take a selfie of this? Right? I mean today we take pictures of our food. Um, which, I don't know how that became a thing, but apparently it is. Um, are you mostly thinking about how bad other people are, right? Is, is a lot of your day spent on, like, I can't believe so-and-so did this to me. Um, I can't believe that so-and-so said this. I can't believe, insert what you can't believe here. Um, are you thinking about where you did wrong during the day, or are you thinking about who wronged you um, throughout the day? Um, are you thinking about the things and commodities that you want? Are these where your thoughts are? So I'm not saying that every one of these thoughts is wrong. It's simply saying, what is the bulk of your thoughts, right? Like, what is it mostly um, formed around? Um, and as I usually like to ask, like, what is your concept of the world, right? Do you believe that, that man, that humans were created for the world, right? Or the world for humans? Because if I think that, the, that I'm created for the earth, then all of these thoughts make sense, right? But if, I, if I'm using these as a mechanism, as a tool for something greater, 
then all of these things should be a means towards something greater as opposed to being ends in and of themselves. Um, this is where I, I, when I was reading this section, I thought of, um, I can say his name because he has Alzheimer's now, so you probably won't remember, Ember Weiss. Um, he's a general bishop uh, in Egypt. Um, he came to Canada a lot from when I was, a, uh, before I was born. Um, so I've known him since I was a kid. Ember Weiss is a, is a, is a saint in my view. Um, very, very deep man. He tried to escape being bishop uh, two or three times. One of the times he actually hid in a big zir, um, like those gigantic water pots in Egypt just to avoid um, <laughs> being taken as a bishop. You never guess when you see him because he's so meek, so gentle. Um, like he's, he's, he's a saint. And he would always tell this story um, about this youth um, that was in Sinai Lama, which is like your, your last year of... of, of high school equivalent here, um, and he went to the monastery, he's actually from a Syrian monastery, um, and the monk was ha- a monk was having a conversation with him and asked him, uh, so like, what are your plans, you're in your last year, and he goes, yeah, I'm, gonna, I'm hoping to be an engineer, and he's like, okay, great, and then, and then what, Wabadin, then what, um, and he's like, yeah, then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work, and he goes, great, like, and, and then what, and he goes, I don't know, like, I'll, I'll, I'll have a job, like, I might get, like, a house or, like, an apartment. <laughs> he's like, yeah, and then what? And he goes, I'll, I'll get married. And he goes, and then what? And he was like, <laughs> he's like, <laughs> I'll have kids and I'll die. Um, and he goes, I'll, I'll die. And he goes, and then what? Um, and it was this eureka moment for him of the then what after the, the death, that it was something he never thought about. Um, and so he was like, in that youth... Um, was so moved by that that he did go through engineering school um, and joined the monastery. So what I didn't know when he would tell the story over and over was the story was actually about him. Um, I found out because another monk from his monastery was telling the story, and then he added the one line at the end. He goes, and now that man's a bishop. And he's like, it's Ember Weiss. Um, and I was like, because he never obviously would, would talk about himself. But this is the mindset to have is Wabadin, and then what? Right? Like, these things that you plan about or think about, what, what's the end? Right? Like, what's, what is this going to help you um, move towards? Um, as Abu Nemeta said in the book, the body is for death, right? In the sense that a body will die, right? It's going to happen no matter what. The one guarantee is morbid and horrible as it sounds that I say this with like a smile. The one guarantee in life is death, right? Like, you're dying from the day you're born, right? As you've begun, begun that process of decay. Um, so it's your one sure thing. So if your life is for the body, it will die of all of the ambitions that you have at some point. So I'm not saying don't be ambitious. I'm not saying don't have a life. I'm just saying make sure the meaning is in line with realities um, so that you don't regret it. He then says you can never be released from the old man until you reach the point of complete despair. This is a very hard section. Um, and I think is this paragraph, I think, is why people hate Christians. Okay, like I, I really do. You can never be released from the old man until you reach the point of complete despair over leading a double life. Combining darkness with light, loving yourself while loving God, praising yourself and praising God, lying while praying, practicing evil and worshipping, indulging in greed and ambition, as well as assuming righteousness, loving the world and God, gossiping about others while loving them, desire for leadership, and for being a hermit or a monk. He's talking about the bipolar 
Christian, right? Is this two-faced person, right? That you preach, don't judge, and meanwhile you're judging up a storm, right? You're telling people how, like, you'd really rather that they not cuss, and then you're, like, speaking the most foul things, um, either about others, about, about yourself, or, or doing something like that. And then he even goes on to say, like, the things like praising while lying, right? Like, in my mind, I'm like, because there's, I, I like music. So when I get, like, certain songs, like, stuck in my head, I'm like, this is really messed up that I'm singing this, right? Like, you go from, like, liturgy, right, to, like, I don't, I don't like Akon, but I'll use Akon as, a, as an example, right? Where it's just like, whoa, right? These are very <laughs> different messages, right, that are being sung. How can I do that? Right? If I believe in something, it should show that I believe in it. If I don't believe in anything, it's easy. Like, I don't stand for anything. But if I believe something's wrong, I can't participate in it. So what songs do I listen to and what songs do I sing? Right? The, the example I use over and over is, like, people excuse themselves. Like, what's playing in your car right now? Don't you have to answer that out loud. Um, actually, up the mountain, you might have played hymns and stuff. But um, in general, what's playing on the... On, on the radio, in your car, because it's really nasty, like most of the stuff that's, that's out right now. And then people are like, oh, I'm just, I listen to it for the beat, right? And it's like, yeah, right. Um, like music is supposed to express something. It's going to put you in a certain mood, right? And can you, like, let's say like some dude wrote a song saying, I think your mom's a prostitute, pardon like my language. Can you sing that to your mom at home and be like, I love the beat. And he's like, <laughs> they're singing about me, right? So when you're participating and listening to this and, and saying these words, I'm sorry, you can't just say it's the beat, right? Is that they're saying something that means something, and it's meant to mean something because music is an art. It's expressing something. It has a message. It's supposed to have a message. It's not us over-reading into it. It's, it's the point of having art, Right? What do you listen to? How do you speak to others? With condescension? Okay? Or with humility? What do I speak with them about? Is it gossip? Okay? Or is it holy? Or is it neutral? How do I feel about it after? Um, if, do I seek to reconcile with people or not if I've wronged them? Um, what are my conversations even about? I was thinking about this whole double-minded thing. I, I had... Abuna Thanasius in Canada is great at telling me off. I love telling me off stories. Um, but I went to him one time, and the, this shows where like the dichotomy can be. So I was, there was, a Pope Shenouda had said he wanted youth on the board. It was a new thing at the time. Where he was like, no, there should be like a youth representative on the, on the board of the church. And so I wanted it, right? Like it was election time. My sister had been in the position before me, and I'm like, yeah, I think that would be cool. I'd be on the board right? I, I'm egotistical. So I was like, I want that. At the same time, like a week or two before it, I was ordained or I was consecrated as a reader in the church. Um, I was in early college. So at our church, that was a big deal. Like not anybody was allowed to be a reader. And I cried with like, oh, I'm unworthy and blah, blah, blah. So when I was sitting with the Buddha confession, I'm like, yeah, I cried. I'm not worthy to be a reader. Like blah, 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 blah. But I really wanted to be on the board and I liked it. This <laughs> and then... <laughs> And he's like, so wait. <laughs> he was like, so 
you're humble, like you cried about being a reader and you're like half campaigning to be on the board? And I'm like, yeah. Because <laughs> I don't think I need to comment. <laughs> like, it's very clear what your issue is. But we, we all have that in us, right? We have this, this desire to be righteous, but we also have this desire to be loved and praised and all these things. So keep in check yourself with whether or not you're, um, whether you're consistent um, as a Christian or not. The struggle inside of us is real, right? It, it is real. But until we become self-aware, and that's part of the reason, I know this is a, a harder topic, like it's not a topic where you go home and like hug yourself, um, in terms of saying, no, you, reali- you need to realize there's something messed up in you, right? But the reason for that is that if I don't become aware, if I don't become self-aware, I won't get better, and that's all we want. And getting better isn't a hard thing, right? Like it's not like the end of the world. So you find out, that you're not good at something, no big deal. If you never knew, you'll never improve. You'll never change. So paying attention to your thoughts and and doing this reconciling with yourself is good. So make sure you have time each day for self-reflection. Like, really. like I, I really advise people, like, physically, actively schedule time. Every single day. Don't make it an optional thing. Don't make it, if I remember, like actually every single day at the end of the day. Turn off the lights. Put your phone into airplane mode. Okay? Like, like let there be no distractions. Turn off everything. Okay? And just sit with yourself in silence. Like, and, and drain out whatever garbage is filling your mind of the day with whatever happened, whatever you're remembering, and all those things. And just say, what happened today? Okay, what was today about? What did I actually get done? What went really well? I'm not saying, you don't even just have to list all like the horrible things, like, oh, I'm bad at this. Like, sure, you're bad at lots of things, so am I. Okay, but what didn't go as well as it should, and what did go very well? Because sometimes things do go very well, right? So there's nothing wrong with identifying that something was a success, right? And saying, okay, you know what, when I did things this way, it worked so much better. Like, usually I'm in conflict with my boss, but today when I dealt with him or her in this way, right, it actually worked, and today we were at peace, so that's good, I should do more of that, right, but I fell short in X, Y, or Z, and I guess there's a place where I could add in the self-accusation part and make it a, a seamless uh, segue, um, is, to, is to have the self-accusation here, self-accusation should be happening all the time, okay, but self-accusation is the virtue of saying, instead of looking for the wrong in others, Okay, is to look for the wrong um, in myself. I wanted to read like a, a quote from here, from St. Dorotheus um, of Gaza that I liked. Um, here's just an, it's an example of the, the mindset. So St. Dorotheus says, um, sorry, let me start from the sentence before. He goes, but someone will say, suppose a brother troubles me, and I examine myself, okay, so I, I'm, I'm reviewing myself, and I find that I have not given him any cause, right? I haven't done anything. How can I accuse myself? And he says, if a man really examines himself in the fear of God, he will usually find that he has given cause for offense, either by deed or word or by his bearing. Um, bearing meaning like his disposition, right? Um, but if in scrutinizing himself, as I said, he sees that he has given no cause in any of these ways, at that moment... It is likely that at another time he has offended him either in the same circumstances or in others, or perhaps he has offended another brother and he would want to suffer on that account or for the same 
um, wrongdoing. If, as I was saying, he examines himself in the fear of God and gropes about diligently in his own conscience, he will always find um, cause for um, accusing himself, right? So this is, is not an easy thing to do, right? So imagine, like, forgetting a self-examination, right? Like, imagine there's somebody at work. Um, there's, this was an example. Someone had sent me a question this by email once. Someone at, at, school, at work is always lying, right? So instead of being like, hey, what a liar, right? And you come home and you're like, yeah, dude is a liar, right? Instead, it'll be like, okay, he lied, right? There's a fact that occurred, he lied. So we'll assume that. But can you first start to make excuses for the person, right? It doesn't matter if your excuses are right or wrong. Of Like, maybe he's trying to protect himself, right? Maybe he's worried about losing his job. That doesn't make lying right. I'm just saying it makes me less angry with the person, Maybe he's worried about losing his job because financially he's in a horrible place and he's petrified. And now he's trying to cover himself because if he loses his job, his whole family is, is going to suffer, right? That would be like a basic level of excusing the other person. But if I can go up a step with accusation towards myself of saying, what am I doing that makes this person feel like he needs to lie to me? Is it because I'm not welcoming and inviting for honesty? Is it because I present myself as judgmental and angry? Is it because any time someone has done something wrong in front of me, I pounce on that person? Because if I'm doing all of those things, then of course this person is going to be afraid to do it, right? So what are the things that, that I have done that might have made this person behave in this way? Then an even higher level of self-accusation would be to say, am I the most honest person in the world? Right? So my lies are not all exposed out there, but am I presenting myself in a wrong way? That's a lie. Right? Am, I, am I exaggerating things to look good? That's a lie. Right? Have I said something about another person that conveys a wrong image? Well, now that's a lie. Right? So I'm a liar too. <laughs> right? So I might not have realized at the beginning that I am the liar as well. Right? But as I start to accuse myself of different things, then I will arrive at the truth about myself, and then suddenly I'll have, I'll have peace. Right? Like I was saying, okay, why am I so angry at this person for being wrong, when I am also wrong? Right? Then there's a whole other discussion of how to deal with these wrongs. That's not like the, the subject at hand. But I mean in terms of the virtue of self-accusation, will help me do that. This is what you should be doing at the end of your day, right? Is saying, where, where am I doing these things, right? There's a lot more to self-accusation. Like I said, I really, really, really recommend this book because um, it's, it's just awesome. Um, I need to accuse myself at the end of the day of all these things because what I'm doing is repentance, right? Because what that means is I'm discovering that I'm wrong, and I'm saying I need to fix it. That's all repentance is. Repentance is saying, I made a mistake. Turn around. Go for it. What's the title again? Uh, Discourses and Sayings by uh, Dorotheos of Gaza. Um, I can send it to Jenny. I don't know if there's an email list for the retreat to send out or not. Um, but it's, it's absolutely exceptional. And I, like I said yesterday, I hope it becomes possibly the book for next uh, Lenten retreat. Um, so accusing myself will lead me to repentance, it will lead me um, to change, and it will also make me a much more peaceful person, because rather than being angry at the world for all their wrongs, 
I'll be able to accept the world with all its wrongs. Right? Everybody talks about how they wish for acceptance. Right? And I wish people would be so less judgmental. I'm like, yeah, so do it. Right? Like, if you do it, you will, you will change people around you. And you'll be like that, that like the, the water being put on a fire instead of putting the gas on it. Right? Of saying, something caused someone to do something. Where am I guilty? He then says, instead of being disciplined by God and going through pain, we should be quick to submit ourselves to discipline under the Holy Spirit. Let us confess our inner pain before Him without any deceit or crookedness. Let us accept the discipline of grace that breaks our ego and humiliates our pride and purifies our heart with the fire of His discipline. We know that beyond God's discipline there is testing to assure man's salvation with all man's debts paid and one prepared to be filled with the Spirit and to be a true witness. A wise and obedient child reveals his weakness and sickness to his father and to his physician in order to receive healing from them, and each will do this in his own way. A successful student does not conceal his ignorance nor pretend to be knowledgeable, otherwise he'll be behaving like a pupil who plays truant. A son has faith in his father and will not, at, will not question the form of discipline he receives, nor does a student ask his teacher about the curriculum to be studied. The Holy Spirit will work his own will in you in different ways than you work in yourself. This is a, a really important two paragraphs, right? Is that, not like, the whole book was important. But um, self-reflection starts with confession to God, okay? And submitting to the remedy, right? Is that if I, if I view, like, this is a, a little bit of a tangent. How you view God is what you're going to get from God. Okay, if you think God is a tyrant, okay, you will deal with him as a tyrant, right? You're going to deal with him as a scared slave or an angry, scared slave. If you view God as a taskmaster, you'll deal with him as one. If you view God as a father, you will deal with him as a father, right? And that's why he's saying, if you see him as a father, then you're going to accept, right, everything that comes being a dad. And that's not going to always be chastisement. Right? It's not going to always be, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong. Right? There will be a you're wrong when you're wrong. Right? There will also be embraces when you're sad. Right? There will also be comfort um, in different times that comes from um, our, our parents. So we need to start by confession to God of just being, again, very, very honest. If I have slandered someone, okay, and this is what I'm saying, we have to take action. If I have slandered someone and I cost him his job, okay, by my slander, right? I've spoken about someone and now this person has lost their job. I've done something seriously wrong, right? And it has to be remedied. And the remedy may hurt. That's what I'm saying. He's saying that it might hurt and everyone, like not everyone, many people get worked up and it's like, why should it hurt? I don't like pain, right? But the problem is that if you've done wrong, the remedy actually can hurt. I need to go to the person that I did this to and confess my sin, if I want to actually fix what I've done, right? If I just cost someone their job by lying, right? Then I ought to go back to the person and say, I, I did this, right? I, I lied. Um, and then I need to go to those to whom I lied and tell them that I lied, if I want to remedy the situation, right? This person has lost his job because I lied, right? How, like, that's, that's awful, right? If I really want to remedy it, then I need to do this. And that's not going to be comfortable, right? In that remedy, I will be hurt, 
right? I'm going to be hurt because now I look obviously really bad, right? I'm going to look like a liar because I am, right? I'm going to look like I'm untrustworthy because I was untrustworthy. And I'm going to look malicious because I was malicious. I did do all of those things, right? So it's going to be a painful place. And the self doesn't want to be hurt, right? The self wants to escape. The self wants to be put in this position where it's in its cozy zone. But I need to confess to the one that I wronged, which is God, and accept his saving remedy, even if it's uncomfortable, right? Because it will make things right. So that's the first part. Exposure is the second part, and you must expose, and that is what spiritual guidance is for, right? Is you all ought to have a spiritual guide. And a spiritual guide is different than a father of confession. They're usually the same, but it doesn't have to be. And there is such thing as a spiritual mother, okay? It's not just spiritual fathers. We were just talking yesterday, someone was about Tan Samira who reposed. I considered Tan Samira as a spiritual mother to myself, right? I would go to Tan Samira and I would ask her, teach me how you pray, right? Teach me how you read the Bible, because Tan Samira was, was a living um, model of, of virtue. So this is not gender-specific, okay? It so happens that it's often a fatherly figure because the priests and the monks are more accessible, but it doesn't have to be. But it does need to be somebody older than you. It needs to be somebody who's very well experienced um, and that lives what it is that you're going to them for, right? It needs to be someone that, from whom you can disciple and be um, coached. Because when you expose this sin to somebody, the wrong that you've done, you're lifting the rock, as my father confession used to, to tell me. He'd be like, your confession is lifting rocks, right? Consider there being like a scorpion underneath it. And when you lift the rock, you've exposed it, it now runs away, right? You, you, it won't be able to do anything. But so long as you're leaving the rock there, you have this potential death always looming, right? But the minute you've removed it, it's gone. And Satan hides most of the time. He's not in the open, right? Satan is going to hide underneath things. He's not like, hi, I'm Satan, and I want you to do this wrong, right? You're, you're not going to fall for it that easily, right? When it's like that, it's like, oh, Satan, right? It's not this cute, cuddly, like, scenario. Um, so... The guide can watch from the outside where you're going, right? And that's why he's saying you need to trust the guide. Because the guide is seeing this from the outside, and a guide, anyone on the outside is going to see your life much more objectively than you, right? I'm a spiritual father to some people, right? But I don't steer myself, right? I go to my spiritual guide because I can be objective about others, but I'm very subjective, about myself. Sometimes I think I'm objective, um, but I might not be, right? It's something that takes a lot of work um, to, to do because I'll be caught up in an emotion I might not even recognize it. So all of us are submitting to other people um, and having that outside person, like I said, can be like, no, 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 this is not going anywhere good, right? Especially if they're experienced, right? They'll have seen many things many times, right? Just like a skilled physician, Right? It can be like, yeah, I've seen this, this scenario so many times. Just go do this test, you're good. Right? Whereas another one, it's like, something's off here. Right? It might even have, they might not even have the lab result yet, but they can be like, I, there's something just not right in this picture. We need to order X, Y, and Z. Right? You need um, that person to do that. And the guide can spare you the rebuke of God right? by preventing you from falling into something that would have had to be fixed. Um, he'll actively steer you towards um, the right way. And then he says, do not be overly crit critical of the guide. And this is really important 
um, because I've seen this more and more the last um, couple of years. Do not overly critique the guide or you'll get nowhere, okay? Every guide, you have to do your due diligence in choosing your guide, okay? Like, do your due diligence. Hop around, go shopping, do whatever you want, okay? Um, like, but when you've chosen one, then you stick with them and you need to choose them for a reason. Um, and then you, when you choose them, you are giving them your trust, right? There's different styles, right? There's a swimming instructor who will throw a kid in the water, okay? Um, who's afraid of the water, knowing the kid is not going to drown, right? And there's another guide who will jump in the water with the kid and hold him. They're both, they're both styles, right? And they both will achieve the same result. There's a person who can handle the throw me in the water, and there's a person like, no, I don't want to do that at all, right? Give me the, the, that gentle guy over there, I'll, I'll take him. That's fine. We all have different personalities. Um, I know like when there was a humbling lesson when I was serving high school back home, um, a close friend of mine was just so aggressive, right? Like he was like, I, I felt like he was always yelling. Um, and like when anyone would tell him like something that they did wrong, like he'd be like, no, and I told you you're an idiot and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, whoa, like dude, like <laughs> chill, he's in high school, right? But in my mind, I'm like, I would never go to someone like that. There were youth who loved that, right? Like I didn't get it because I wouldn't have been one of those youth, right? But like there are people who respond to that. So don't judge everyone's styles and be like, well, he's wrong because he did this. No, like don't reserve judgment for God. Let God do that. Right? You worry about you, right? About what is the appropriate guide and style that matches your personality that you can mesh with and to whom you can um, submit your will to on some level. A guide should never be controlling you, okay, ever. This is not brainwashing one on one sessions in the church. If it is, something seriously wrong is going on, okay? It is not supposed to be the guy turning you into a mini him or her. That's also wrong. Right? You're supposed to maintain your personality, but someone is simply navigating you towards God from within who you are as a person, period. Any relationship outside of that, there's something going wrong. Okay? So having a guide is the same as, as hiring yourself a personal trainer. Okay? It's the same as hiring yourself a coach. So if you spend all of your time evaluating how good or bad your coach is, then obviously you don't trust your coach. Get one that you can trust. Okay, because if you're going to waste all your time on whether the guide should have done it this way or could have said this better, you're not going to get anywhere. Okay, so choose your guide carefully, but you must have a guide um, that you can expose yourself to so that you can learn. I don't know why Christians think that they're just Christians because they were thrown into water when they were 40 or 80 days old. Right? Christianity has to be taught. Right? The disciples were taught. That's why they're called disciples. Right? So you're not going to magically know how to be a Christian. It would be like somebody saying, oh, I can become a physician because I read these books. I'm sorry, that doesn't make you a physician. Right? There's a lot more to that practice. Um, and when you have a good guide, you get protected. I remember when I was a novice here at the monastery. Um, at the time, my father's confession was, was Ambasarabian. Um... And I had all sorts of thoughts. Like, I couldn't sleep. They were, like, going through my head. Um, and I had confessed, like, just the night before. And then that night, there were so many. So, like, at liturgy, at the beginning of liturgy, I was like, Satan, I know I just confessed last night. I was like, I need, like, just one minute after liturgy, I'm just going to spew out, like, vomit out all my, my thoughts. 
and then I'm good. The minute I got, and he was like, yeah, yeah, no problem. The minute, like, I saw him, it was gone. Like, they were, I couldn't remember, and I looked like an idiot. Because I'm like, I don't remember what they were anymore. <laughs> um, and then, instead of, like, being like, oh, what a waste of time, he laughed, and he goes, then know that these thoughts, whatever they were, were not from God. Right? That's why they're gone. When you came after liturgy to your father of confession, they were gone. It's because they were from him. So don't worry about it. Right? And then, so there was a teaching. Right? He's like, if it's from God, it'll look like X, Y, and Z. So you, you get a certain protection, you get a certain education from, from the person by, by doing these things. Um, and it also helps you stay on the straight and narrow. I feel badly because Friday's talk at our church is about this. Um, in that whenever I right now see a message from my spiritual father on, on, my, on my phone or anywhere, I immediately like get religious. Um, and I mean it in a, in a good way, not in a fake way, where I'm like, oh man, he knows I'm being, doing something wrong right now. Um, or like, it makes me bring my thoughts because I see in my spiritual father a very deep image of holiness. I do see that. Um, and so whenever I think about him or whenever I see him, I immediately feel filled with a positive desire for good. Not a negative desire of hating myself, right? But a positive desire, I'm like, I need to be like him someday. Um, so... There's lots of stuff, spiritual guidance, very important. Okay. You may conceal yourself with what is apparently holy, spiritual words and deceitful deeds in a soft, humble tone of voice, but the Spirit will reveal and uncover your weaknesses, displaying them to your own eyes, and if necessary, to the eyes of others also. By pretending to be pious, you have been self-serving. The Spirit makes your deceitful piety a scandal for the sake of your own salvation. You raised up the old man to believe in lies, crookedness, filth, and pride. But the Holy Spirit does not raise and nurture your spirit until he has laid constraints on the actions of the old man. This is so scary. Um, th this was the passage that made me message my spiritual father. <laughs> so I better get rid of this. Um, because all of us, if we self-accuse really honestly, we'll find out that we do this. A lot of us are, are, are really two-faced. We'll act very pious around people. Um, but we all know if somebody were to just like take the lid off and take a look in, it, it's, not, it's not really pretty. Um, but this is preventable. Like what, what, when a method thing will happen is, is preventable, right? Like it's not necessary. It's not like this has to happen. This only has to happen if you're a liar, right? So don't lie, right? Don't lie to yourself. Don't lie to others, right? That's why I always say, be yourself, don't sin, right? Work on what's wrong, but be honest um, about everything. Be honest even about your weaknesses, because if you're not honest about your weaknesses, then you need to ask yourself, why? Is it because you don't want people to know that you're imperfect? Because you, you are. You are imperfect, right? I am imperfect too. So what is it that we're trying to defend? Like, what is the image that we're thinking that we have. If we're brut brutally honest, then we'll know. We have vices, and that's not scandalous um, in and of itself. And so it's, it's something that can be rem remedied. So accuse yourself. Self-accuse. Do you give long speeches to others about holiness and righteousness and what is the right way of doing things that you yourself don't keep? Do you make yourself out to be so righteous in front of others? Do you feign a personality because you think... It will be loved. Even worse, are you using holiness 
as a guise for your sin. Right? Think of the priest scandals that rocked the Roman Catholic Church recently. Um, and I am a huge fan of the Roman Catholic Church, so I'm not at all taking shots. I feel sorry for them for everything they've gone through. Um, think of the priest scandals. People were so upset that men of God were abusing people because they abused the sanctuary. Right? They abused a place of, of holiness and refuge for a place of sin. So people were rightfully scandalized, okay, rightfully scandalized by that. But ask yourself, again, self-accuse, right, so you think, oh, look what they did. Are you using God as your cover for unrighteousness? Are you doing things that are completely wrong and justifying it in the name of God? Because that is abhorrent, right? That's abhorrent, not, not like just to God but as a thing, that's abhorrent. And again, this is why, in my view, people hate religion these days. Because in the name of God, people are doing horrible things. So think about what you do, even if it's not on a level of physical murder, in the name of God. What are you doing while calling yourself a Christian that is scandalous to other people? Think of Eli the priest. Eli the priest did this. Him and his family... We're using the sacrifices of the people for their own wealth, right? He was taking whatever was supposed to be brought up for the burnt offering. He would choose the best stuff. He'd eat it, him and his kids, right? And it was to the point where it says that the people didn't want to give sacrifice anymore, right? Even though they knew that they were supposed to, they didn't want to because the priest was such a rotten priest, point blank, okay? And yet it was this person that God used to speak to Samuel. And the first thing that the Lord told Samuel is, I'm going to take him down. Right? That's, that's not acceptable to me. Right? Look at what he's doing to my people and his kids. Go ahead and tell him that. Right? That's why even I, I, I say this prayer every time that I go out to meet somebody. I've been saying it from when I was young as a servant. And I, I recommend people, I always pray, always Lord, protect them from me. That's, that's always my prayer. Lord, please protect your children from myself. The first time meeting holy people, like I talked about yesterday, and seeing them, though, made me want to be better. So you have both extremes, right? You have the person who makes you find God repulsive, right? And then you find the person who makes you want to run and sprint towards God. Ask yourself, who am I, right? I'm, which one am I? If people were to look at me, will they see the new man? Will they see... Christ. If you tire of dealing with the Holy Spirit and reject Him, He will leave you without His grace. Then you will more than ever before return to your life of egoism, lust, sin, and deception, and you'll find yourself badly entangled by these. <coughs> Thus, no prayers, tears, or fasting will be of any avail. All means of grace will be fruitless unless you confess and admit your obstinacy and sin being dismissive, being submissive. Um, you have the choice. Either you allow the Holy Spirit to prevail and yourself to die so you can be led by the Holy Spirit to the light or you let yourself prevail so the Spirit is trapped and you walk the path of darkness into even deeper <coughs> darkness. Some people have problems reconciling this. right? And you need to realize again, as we said at the beginning, who God is by nature. 
right? I have troubles reconciling this with the, with the loving God of, of hugs. Um, and like I said, you need to realize who God is by nature. You need to abandon the thought of entitlement. He doesn't owe anything to any of us. But he does things because he wants to. That's why it's love, right? If you have a sense of entitlement, then it, then it means he has a duty. He doesn't have a duty. He doesn't. He doesn't have a duty to us. But he does do these things because he wants to do these things because he does love us. But because of who he is by nature, he can't coexist with darkness, right? He can't coexist with sin, not because he's angry about all these things, but because it is actually completely and totally against his nature. No sin can be found in God, by definition. So it's not a choice issue. It's not about God deciding, okay, whether he likes you enough to be in you or not. It's actually a choice issue for you, whether you are going to allow him to live in you or not, because he can't coexist with this sin, right? That's not something that he can do. Like we said, the light and the dark can't mix because of their very nature of light, it is not possible. So this is why that happens, it's who he is. And then to add insult to injury, if you constantly rebuff someone, why do you want them to come and beg you to be with them? Right? Like if you're constantly being like, I don't like you, I don't want you, I'm doing all of the things that you hate, I'm doing all of the things that you said really like tick you off, I'm doing all the things that you said just don't jive with you, and then yet you're begging them to come out with you. And I say, well, why do you want me to come? Like, you already know all of these things that I don't like, and you're saying, come, come, come. And yet when I'm there, you only do all of the things that I specifically said I never want to do. Like, that's your list of activities. And instead of saying, why not? Like, why not just come? Like, what's, what's the big deal? Um, turn around and look at this self and what it's doing. That's the whole point, right, of this lecture series. It's not comfortable because it's true. It's true that many of us live in this way and we don't know um, that we are dying. In clinging to the old man with all the deeds done under cover of darkness, we need to know that they will not remain hidden. Um, others will discover about you for a while that there's something messed up. I'm just paraphrasing. Um, and then he says, do not be half spiritual or half alive, or half worn, or God will spew you out. Um, do not mix God's cup with the devil's cup. Um, then he gives this advice. Um, sorry, I know I'm all over the place, guys. If the old man overcomes you, use the following method. Some wicked people entered the church of the resurrection at the time of St. Pachomius, seized it, and started their own unrighteous worship and adulterous practices. So this is going on in the church. The priest asked for St. Pachomius' help. So he sent him some of those pilgrim spirits, which here he's talking about, Sowah, who have the power to enter closed places without being visible. They went up to the altar with the, with the holy oblation and at once began the liturgy. Thereupon, wicked invaders were shocked and fled in fear, abandoning the church to the priest. Therefore, if the devil begins to control your old body, making it an altar for his filthiness and sin and imprisoning the spirit within you, you must resort to that deeply fervent prayer which is like those invisible saintly spirits. Prayer will enter your spirit and refresh it, and your spirit will start offering up the pure inner oblation. When the light shines in your heart and your old self is revealed, you find the old self to be uglier than you imagined. 
The solution here that he's talking about is to go inward. Right? That's what he's saying, is to enter into the spirit, to start the spiritual life. And now, if you can understand some of these concepts, you'll understand what spiritual works are for. Okay? Is that they're not arbitrary acts. Right? Getting up and down, like, what's the difference between like a, a push-up and a matanya? Right? Like, if it's, if, it's like, if it's a physical work, right, there are more effective ones. Right? Like, it's, what is it for? If we start to understand what the spirit is and what's going on, then you need to start to finally look at the spiritual life and you'll understand what their context is. What is prayer for? What does it do? What is fasting for? What does it do? These aren't random arbitrary things that we're doing as robots or to control people. Right? Prostrations, charity, almsgiving, thanksgiving, virtues, fruits of the spirits, gifts of the spirits. What are these? Right? These are real things now that have a context in being used now to fight against the self. They have a role. Right? And that's why each one of those things needs its own um, topic. Um, when the SOS mission is done, the violent and exhausting rescue mission of trying to rescue you from yourself um, no longer is a sad story. It becomes the story of the greatest joy. Think of anyone you know who endured monumental hardship with you. Think of the special bond that you forge because you went through it together. Right? It might be a college buzz, it might be a family crisis, whatever it is. Okay? Going through hardship together is what brings you close. Each moment, however, was probably misery and agony. Right? And it's probably fear, wondering when is it going to be done? When is this thing going to pass? Right? The hardest parts of my life are now truly, like, genuinely, some of my favorite times now, um, in retrospect. Because it was the time that I had the most grace, and I didn't know. I didn't know at the time. I didn't recognize it while I was in it. Screaming at the air even, and crying out, right? seeing who I am, it was mortifying. Right? It's, not, it's not an easy thing. And before I end with one quote from Bunemetta, just on a, on a more positive note, I was talking to someone earlier, is the easiest way, and it was part of the Q&A yesterday, the easiest way to kill yourself, right? the easiest way to be not selfish anymore, like we said, is, is to be selfless. Right? Like, read Matthew 5-7, through 7, all of you, like before the end of the day, and look at what it means to be a Christian. Right? Walking the extra mile with people, visiting those in prison, clothing the naked, helping the poor. It's all about giving. If I give, it means that I'm less self-absorbed because I'm giving something out of myself to another person. This is the easiest way to kill the self. You don't need to be a theologian, right? Because a theologian, as, Saint, as Evagrius says, is simply a man who prays, right? If I believe that prayer is being in the presence of God, then even my deeds can turn into a living prayer, right? That I'll always be in the presence of God if I view everybody as God, right? If everybody that I see, I clothe, and I try and comfort, and I listen. Instead of telling them how I feel, listening to how they feel, right? Of finding out what is theirs, I start to bear other people on myself, and so myself starts to die because it's already 
give it out, right? It's not hiding away. If you want to be perfect, go sell all that you have and follow him. And I'll end with a longer quote from Abuna as the, the last part and open up to questions if there are any. The day will come when you will be assured that all of God's hard dealings with you and the Holy Spirit's discipline, whether by neglect or forgetfulness or deliberate failure, or one fall after another, and when you and your body and its lusts are degraded, you will indeed see that everything was truly a mercy to you. God's plan was to wake you up from that deep sleep which leads to eternal damnation. This shows God's true and absolute love, His sincere and fatherly mercy. By these means you were drawn to salvation, and it was a daily witness against you that you are not living according to His heart. He wished to convince you by actual events that you were still unacceptable to Him. You are careless and forgetful of your prayers, unlike God who will never be careless in His discipline until you turn to Him. For the Lord disciplines Him whom He loves and chastises every son whom He receives. Therefore do not reject God's discipline. Can a woman forget her nursing child and not have compassion on the son of her womb? Surely they may forget, yet I will not forget you, says the Lord. Daily we receive his discipline until we reach the spiritual standard of God. He says, I will never fail you nor forsake you. My eyes are on you till you become a good and perfect son. He has sent me to proclaim release to the heathen, he said. The heathen being those who have imprisoned the old self in a barricade of sinful habits, passions, and vain interests. This he said to show by what death he was to glorify God. And after this he said to him, Follow me. The self, in summary, comes between the body and the soul, says St. Isaac. It is either united with the body and takes its part against the spirit, or united with the spirit and works with it against the body. So the soul can be either or the spirit, either physical or spiritual. The Bible says in Galatians, For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to one another to prevent you from doing what you would. God requires us to make the self lean toward the spirit so that it may have eternal life. If it leans toward the body, which means losing eternal life, it will indeed find damnation. Remember who you are and for what reason you live and make the choice of whether you want yourself to be spiritual or carnal. Glory be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Any closing uh, questions or comments or what have you. I know that was long. Thank you guys for putting up with me. I know I'm very long-winded and verbose. Um, So, God willing, there'll be a better and newer speaker next year. Um, And thank you guys for inviting me and having me. Thanks to Jenny and to Peter and Joe and Abuna Mike. I don't know who else was on the committee. There's a whole bunch of people. Uh, Daniel or Barry. um, For immense and tireless work that they do all year long actually um, in preparing for all of these things we can applaud them and the whole committee I'm sorry if I didn't
you already thanked, but I really truly want to thank on behalf of the GRP committee or all of you. Uh, without you guys, this wouldn't have happened, and um, it's really a testament to to this faith and the fact that you guys drove all this way and went through all this effort to come up here and really benefit spiritually. So thank all of you for for doing this. Um, you know, give yourselves a round of applause. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Thank you. Right, with that, um, I don't know if any of you guys still have your schedule, but the retreat has concluded. Oh, this is last call for the bookstore, so if you'd like a, a nice uh, book to read on the way home. Get the words, get the two of one meta books. Get those two of one meta books. They're really, really good. Those ones are uh, somebody translated sermons, like they're not translations of books. So they're really, 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 really good. Um, and so is the Pope's new the book, but there's only one copy. But, <laughs> oh, there's three? Sick buzz. Okay. All right, let's stand up for prayer. I just... <laughs> I hate you. I hate yourself. May the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, one good amen. We thank you, Heavenly Father, for being in our midst. Please bless our coming in and going out and bring everyone to their homes and safety peace and security. Help us, Lord, to truly come to love you for who you are. That our denial of self become a natural thing rather than one of, of fear or, or submission, of, of servitude. Through the intercession of Holy Mother, through the suffering of St. Mary, St. Basil the Great, and first among the saints of the Virgin, St. Anthony, we pray for all thanksgiving, our Father, and Lord. Father, grace of only God, Son, the communion, give the Holy Spirit with you all. Go in peace, the peace of the Lord be with you all. Did the phone go off?